Hi, Johanna. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Liam? I'm okay. We've been, uh, it's been a few weeks since our last one, but we have another exciting podcast today. Who do we have on the line? Deb? Who's that? Who's that, Deb? Oh, hello. That's me, Liam. <laughs> I'm Deb Carson, and uh, I'm here to uh, join you with your podcast today. Um, so there's, you know, the full complement of Rail Innovation Group people. How exciting. Indeedy. So the reason we're doing the podcast today, um, well, I'm in London, you're in uh, the Medway Towns, Johanna's in Brighton, but we have some colleagues from Sheffield with us because we were going to do our Startup Rail event in Sheffield today. Um, it got postponed in March and we thought, optimistically, we'd do it in July, but now it's been postponed again. But uh, not to waste the opportunity, we are dialing in and chatting with our, our hosts, who will be hosting us at some point in the future. We will. So, uh, I just want to introduce uh, both Lucy and James. Can you introduce yourself, please? Ladies first. Okay then. So, um, hi, I'm Lucy Pryor, Business Engagement Director at Three Squared, um, which means I go out and talk to an awful lot of people about how great, truly great, the Three Squared products and services are and our relevance in the whole railway ecosystem. That was James. I'm James. I'm uh, the Commercial Director and co-founder of Three Squared. So we've been going since 2002. Um, we got into the rail industry about eight years ago um, and now 95% of our work is within rail. And uh, we've been growing ever since. We've got 60 employees now here in Sheffield um, and we are systems integrations, specialists and software developers, essentially. Right, now obviously we're on Zoom so we can see you, but we can see you're both wearing branded t-shirts, point. Yeah. And also, James, you're apparently in your office. Well, virtually. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I push my hand that way, it disappears. There you go. <laughs> I think that's quite clever, but why does it do that? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> but there's, it must be something to do with the CGR or something. I don't know how it works, but... Yeah, it's like a green screen. It's funny. <laughs> right. Uh, so we had a bit of an agenda that we were going to talk about, which is basically why we were going to do Startup Rail and then learn all about three squared and the wider economy. So kicking off, I just wanted to uh, introduce this, which is, so Startup Rail is our program where we go around the country as a rail innovation group, and we try to engage with small clusters of digital talent. So uh, we've gone to places like Liverpool, Newcastle, Bristol, we we're going to go to Sheffield, and, uh, and Brighton, we we're gonna go there too. We should have been and there two weeks ago, shouldn't we? Or last week. We should have been in Boston last week, last week yeah. shouldn't we? Yeah. It was raining. <laughs> I know, but it's just so sad that we're not doing our national tour. We will do our national tour. Just we after. will do our national tour. It will be back. So we, no fear. <laughs> we um, reached out to local communities and through our network found small, interesting businesses doing interesting digital tech solutions and tried to attract them into rail. Um, telling about the opportunities available, the support that there is, uh, things they may not know, good good entrance into the market. Um, I guess a bit of managing expectations about the market as well. Uh, and then just got people sort of into the network. And as a result of that, we've had some very good previous uh, people who have come along to events and got into the rail supply chain. Won't mention any because this is all about three squared today. <laughs> so, but there are definitely and, and nobody else is paying us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
definitely uh, successes in the line. So we want to continue that afterwards. And we are excited to go to Sheffield because there is a lot of interesting things happening there and support available. So uh, I think that's probably where we mentioned Sheffield Digital, if you're okay to do that, Lucy. So Sheffield Digital is actually a trade body for the digital community within Sheffield city region. It, it tends to focus more on the Sheffield city as a region as opposed to the entire local enterprise partnership. I think more, that's more in terms of the success they've had with um, responsiveness to their outreaches as opposed to the fact that there, there aren't any digital companies outside of Sheffield. Um, but it's really interesting, it brings together a whole cohort of digital companies and their argument is that digital is a sector in its own right it's it's now so much more than simply an enabler of other sectors um and there's, there's an interesting conversation we keep having internally are we digital or are we real or we're both and i raised that um at a seminar just a couple of weeks ago and one of the really senior guys at network rail said well this is what we want to be we want rail needs to be digital rail is digital now and it's not just digital rail and signaling so going back to what sheffield digital is it, like i said it's a trade body for digital companies within sheffield city region but excitingly because we've got um high value catapult centers in the region as well we've got the advanced manufacturing center um just just on the city outskirts who are running digital manufacturing meetups and again discussing where digital can enhance the capabilities of all manner of other companies in all other sectors and, and cross fertilize those skills and those ways of thinking so it really really is a vibrant digital community up here in Sheffield. Um, are you from Sheffield are you biased? Uh, I'm from Donny originally I am I emigrated to Don <laughs> I emigrated to Sheffield from Doncaster via Bristol and South America that's that's my little strap line. <laughs> So I always knew I'd end up back in South Yorkshire, but with a fair amount of travelling and, and working overseas um, in between all of that. Right. So yeah, I am biased though. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I am biased. However, there's um, there's an official piece of research going on into digital and railway clusters across the north. So looking at the whole of the Northern Powerhouse region, and actually when I was assisting that body with their work not just through bias and not just through my networking and affinity with people that I know locally because because my railway net contacts are national it turns out my digital contacts are quite national as well and actually advising this research body on digitally innovative companies working in rail there was also a, a cluster just naturally formed out of the South Yorkshire going up to West Yorkshire area as well so it's really interesting it, it really is a hotbed I'd say of, of Digital. I was just, I was just wondering that though whether there was sort of like a cluster that was going on, you know, with between Doncaster, Sheffield, and York, and whether that was triangulating, um, in the same way that um, it does between Milton Keynes, Oxford, and Cambridge. If there was something else going on there, the golden as well. triangle that you're talking about last week. Um, <laughs> I think we need to come together as a community um, better. For example, there's the York Rail Innovation Community, which has had a few meetings and actually reached quite a few people. It's its inaugural physical event, easily had 40 people there. We're talking that was about 18 months ago now, I think. Um, and it shouldn't be that we're competing for attention. It should be that we work together. So yes, there's a whole load of stuff happening in York. There's a whole load of stuff happening across Sheffield City region, which includes Doncaster. 
and also you know you've got Manchester and that's only 30 miles away so collectively as as a northern and James travels that route um, daily when when we're in the office um, so there is a massive capability across the north so perhaps that you know we've got a rhubarb triangle now we've got a digital triangle as well up north and it, it should be I would argue that yeah it, it should be brought together better and what do you what do you think stopping it being brought together better Lucy or what do you think the sort of critical components are to make that happen um I think we've this is this is my very personal subjective opinion I yeah. think there's still um the consideration that north is about heavy manufacturing mm. um you know we, we've got a whole host of skills and offerings so if if we look at all of the north as a region we've got two massive hydrogen creation points in the Sorry. Got, <laughs> we do have um, I'm muting him he's muted we do have um that mass of technical uh, digital skills we've also got a share of um catapult centers we've mm. got the lion's share of the ukraine network um and then don't forget as well and this is really crucial that we remember this we're between scotland and and the midlands region so yeah. it's it's not just about to, i'm not just talking about northern powerhouse here northern powerhouse as part of the route up to scotland mm. northern powerhouse as traveling through midlands connect we've got to be so where where I've just said that perhaps York and Sheffield need to speak to one another better. Maria Machinkozak, so I can never pronounce Maria's surname properly, um, but Maria and the guys at TFN, they have MOUs in place. And that's absolutely right, because um, I think we'll be talking about levelling up later. We've all got to recognise our respective skills and our respective strengths, and then work out how we can, we can put those in conjunction with one another for a better holistic whole offering yeah absolutely it's really interesting that point about you know the north is seen as as a kind of heavy manufacturing and not it's like a philosophical sort of point isn't it really it's like and do you think government sees it like that in a way even though they let's face it they do talk a good game about them you know leveling up yeah i'm, I'm actually meeting hang on my dog's going mad one moment <laughs> <laughs> No. Bones, dog barking, we've got it all on here. Sorry. Noise <laughs> from, from working from home. Let's <laughs> have the delivery driver that uh, wouldn't go away. <laughs> Can I ask you, James, just before we, uh, we get into a wider conversation, is uh, with regard to Sheffield, is why did you start a company in Sheffield? Originally, I went to Sheffield Hallam University and uh, did computer studies there. So I just run up the stairs, um, <laughs> and um, and I met my colleague Tim uh, on on my family year from a degree, and uh, and we worked well on projects together. We thought, well, let's start a company. Uh, so that was back in two thousand and two, uh, and then we we just yeah we started three squared back then, uh, and it's it's just grown over the years. But um, we've always had strong connections with Sheffield Hallam University. Um, because we take on placement students from them every year. Uh, I think over the years we've taken over, I think it's close to 100 students that have come through 3 Squared and, um, and done placements with us. Um, and I, I always tout it as the best part of the degree because I did a placement at university and thought that is 
really where you get the industry knowledge. Um, and that's what I say to all the students is, is the best part of the degree because you, you learn so much more on the job. And the majority of them do come back two, three squared full time. Um, and um, I need to get a first class honours degree as well because uh, they've learned so much working with three squared and we've got a fantastic uh, graduate programme and, and placement programme going on that um, we do get the cream of the crop of the students because we get some great recommendations from them as well. So it's great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just curious, so, so you say you just started off from university, did you have an idea, a business idea or because it's, it's oh. highly unusual, isn't it, to go straight from university into your own business. Most people yeah. sort of like try a career of some sorts first and then realise that working for people is rubbish, so they go and start off their own business. True. I mean, I think doing the placement years, I did a couple of placement years, actually, the one at Plusnet. Um, and that kind of showed me the ropes of, of a software house, which is really useful, mm -hmm. obviously, with three squared. Um, and Tim had some projects on the side as well that he was working on. Plus, I was developing websites on the side as well for my hometown. Um, and uh, and I, I realised that, you know, there's, there's more that can be done with taking Tim's skills and minds together to, to develop something. So we, we had an idea. We, we were more into the web design and software programming. We also did e-marketing. We, we kind of threw a lot of different things at a wall. Uh, and we, we kind of saw what stuck and it was the software side that, that grew from there and, and during the, the years that we, would, we were um, <clears throat> established, the, the iPhone came out, the iPad and uh, you know, applications were, were a big thing and we, we kind of got into that market with mobile apps and then we were working for lots of different organisations, construction, um, retail and, and various different uh, sectors and it, when we got into rail we had all this industry knowledge from other industries that we've then put into the rail to say, well, have you thought about doing it this way? Um, and and it's, it's really worked. And we've, we've found, to, found that, that our niche now is, is within the rail sector. So, so have you grown then? Sorry, Liam. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, I about to ask we, the same questions as you. So well, you, go on, then you ask it, you ask it. I know you do. Okay. So, no, I was just, I was just saying, so have you, as, as you've grown, I mean, like, is it because you saw the opportunity in rail because rail didn't have, the um, expertise that um, you could bring to it? I think, yeah, absolutely. There, there, were, there was a lot of gaps and, and you know, there's a lot of legacy systems as well within, uh, within the rail system, or within the rail organisations. And, um, <clears throat> and we were, were great at investigating problems and finding a solution for it. Plus we were really tech, techies, you know, geeks that like to integrate with things as well. And we found that these systems we're kind of just giving the bare minimum and that there was lots of different information in silos that we, we could then bring together our, our expertise and integration methods that could, that could then provide the right information to the right people on performance and, and improvements. And it's, it's worked really well in that sense, the fact that we've, we found the industry and, and being able to sort of change it through using our, our, our services to develop a suite of products called RailSmart. So how do you make sure that as you've grown, I mean, you can come on to it in a minute, but you've had some wild successes recently. As you've grown and become more and more of a rail company, a company in the rail sphere, how have you made sure that the culture of what you do still questions rail? Still questions rail. 
Um, it'd be a similar, I was going to ask you something similar about that actually, because which might help to sort of focus your response, James. Sorry to butt in, but right. I was thinking it's very interesting because everyone always says that the rail industry is very kind of, you know, stuck in its stuck stuck in its ways and it's not very open to change and you know it's very difficult to get people to do things differently in rail and all this kind of thing. So I'm intrigued just to what your experience has been because obviously it's been a very successful space for you. Yeah, I think by having people who aren't necessarily in rail has really helped as well because they've had different ideas taken away from the blinkered approach of rail. This is how we do it this way. And we've gone in there and suggested ideas. And fortunately, a lot of the clients and a lot of people in the rail industry are quite receptive to change. So mm. that they're up for these ideas of trying new things. And, and it's, it's worked. It's been listening to their problems and, and being able to solve them through through software right well i think we're also overall in a really interesting area right now because as james said we, there are so many legacy systems and there are so many things that are done because they're just done this way mm. then at the same time if we look at hs2 for example you know the the vehicle builders are all waiting now for the results they've essentially had to put bids in for vehicles that aren't going to be built for another however many years, mm. never mind how long they're going to be in service. So we've got right now, I'd say railways in this really strange but fortunate position at the same time, how do we marry legacy with future proof? And because there's a, there's a shift in conversation to being outcome or output led rather than results led, led. So rather than clients now saying how they want you to do something, there does feel like there is this ongoing evolution where it's like this is what we want to achieve how can supply chain get us there and if that thinking really is deeply ensconced that is going to enable more non-railway companies into rail because it might be that their means of tackling and solving a problem are going to help the way that three squared was doing eight nine years ago when it first came into rail but it's it's also finding the right person to have the right conversation with which is I think Jason can just smell them out. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just wondering, do you think in the last, you know, ten years rail rail has, you know, um in a cliche way been on that journey and it's taken them a long time to to realise that, you know, outcomes are better than being told how how you get there. Yeah, and I think that's because we're finally now shaking VR. You know, we're not British Railway anymore, and it's taken a long time culturally for the railway world to, to really, really embody that. Um, COVID changed a lot of things really drastically over the last few months. But, you know, even five years ago, I'd be speaking to people and they still refer to themselves as BR people. And if you look um, at the Commonwealth and, and, and um, ex colonial countries, there's still a huge BR footprint or a BR legacy out there. So that's not to say that mortality is a good thing, um, but as the market has had to evolve and therefore the work has had to evolve and as we do become more output outcome led, it's forcing us to look at things differently, I'd argue. So <laughs> your dog is very, very, I'm very sorry. I've tried to bribe him. <laughs> you, you, should, you, should, you should introduce him. <laughs> I'll him in in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we just pick on mute. 
no no <laughs> it's, part, it's part of the charm of the podcast <laughs> that we have we have a guest <laughs> behind you today <laughs> so being based in sheffield and the as you've grown i think you, the the city's digital culture has also grown do you think that's symbiotic or have you benefited from them more than I mean, you're obviously providing local digital jobs. So do you think it's, uh, you can't even see my fingers, but the fingers are pushing together at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> the benefit of the audience, I'm holding my hands up. <laughs> I think we're very lucky in Sheffield to have two fantastic universities. And, you know, there, there is a lot of talent coming out of the universities that uh, has helped grow the digital Sheffield, uh, Sheffield Digital. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of companies that have come into Sheffield as well, digital companies, because they've realised there is some great talent here as well. And unfortunately, there isn't enough developers to go around now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit of a struggle uh, when, when companies are recruiting now. But um, I, I think it's only a good thing, really, the fact that we've got, um, you know, we've got all, all this talent. We've got some great companies in Sheffield. It, it's, it's, it's really not very well known. I think it's one thing that Sheffield... It's doing more of it's shouting about the fact that we are we have got a great digital uh, presence and um, and uh, you know I think as three squares grown over the years that, that there's just been more and more companies that have, that have come come to Sheffield. So um, I'll, I'll let one of the two of you mention about which successes you've had. But in the two most recent press releases I've seen, it always says Sheffield based three squared. Is that something you put on, or is that people noting that you're from Sheffield? Uh, I, I think I think on on the recent one with HS2, it's, it's been noted the fact that it's it's a contract that's not been won and been in London. <laughs> um, so <laughs> exactly, they'll be very keen on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's a really exciting exciting project with the HS2 one. Um, you know, we're, we're using our Rail Smart software. Uh, to help um, deliver a tunneling, pro tunneling program between Euston and the M25 using RailSmart and some bespoke components um, uh, to form a, a supply chain management system. So it, it's, it's really exciting to, to be part of that. And one of the other big ones is working with Network Rail. Um, so they've taken on our flagship competency management software um, to, to con continuously monitor and improve employee competencies and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a great win for us because it means they're rolling it out to, to Network Rail. Um, you know, we've, we've successfully rolled it out to a certain part and it's growing to, uh, out to the rest of, rest of NR uh, by the end of the year. So it's really exciting. So, so were you bidding for oh, that oh, work? Sorry, go on. Sorry, go on. No, go on, Debs, you go on. Okay, I was, well, I was just going to ask, James, you mentioned about the university, and, and I'm interested because I do some work for um, a high-speed rail industry group, you probably, as you know, and we are often trying to sort of connect with some of the, uh, with the sort of bigger universities on sort of curriculum development, because there's, there's sometimes, you know, can be a, a, a sort of gulf emerging between what the universities are teaching and what actually what industry want. But I think in the digital space, that must be quite, you know, because everything is evolving. It, well, it feels to me, that's probably just because I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but it always feels like the change is happening really rapidly in, that, in the digital sort of sector. So 
do you do any work on with you know do you do any sort of collaborative work with the universities on sort of what you need as a company um i'm actually on the industry advisory board at sheffield right. Hallam, and so we always obviously communicate about what what our needs are as a company um yeah. and there's uh, there's quite a few other tech companies there as well about saying that you know you need to evolve your course to suit this particular area and they're really grateful for that because obviously technology does move along really fast and you know the lecturers can only keep up with so much so they, yeah. they are very grateful for that and and obviously we really like to give back to to especially Hallam you know because they've they've been really good to us so it's it's, it's a symbiotic relationship really. yeah yeah thank you I think it's interesting as well to note on that 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 evolution of the skills need it is being felt everywhere so just last week I was in conversation with Neil Robertson of NSAR mm -hmm. he was talking to me about they are now releasing apprenticeships in systems engineering, cyber security, um, I think it was computer science, there were four very very digital technical apprenticeships that are now coming out of NSAR um, and the point I was when James was talking about all the interns that we take on on placement who then become full-time employees um, we work hard at the apprenticeship side of things as well there's more to be done um, I think it's important that we reflect that digital need in the workplace to universities, but also to any further higher education and training providers. Um, we're not ever just going to shop from universities for staff. Um, but so I think that's interesting in itself, isn't it? Because just also, you know, you say about, you know, um, looking for a wider talent pool in that respect. But mm. also when James is saying about a shortage of developers, is that local to Sheffield or is that nationally that there's a shortage and we need to do more to to get people working in the digital space regardless of what level they enter in at? I think nationally and I certainly think across the north so kind of to answer the question that Deb asked earlier before Archie interrupted um, <laughs> is, is the north perceived as, as an old-fashioned manufacturing base to a degree yes but then also look at some of the flagship names that have come up north so Channel 4 and BBC, for example, based up North Burberry, have got a massive centre um, mm -hmm. in Leeds and they all have digital requirements. Mm -hmm. So whether it's devolution or whether it's cheaper rental rates or whatever it may be, yeah. people are moving out of the capital. Mm -hmm. um, HS2, I mean, I know Birmingham isn't the North, but that was a really great point. <laughs> it, it, it is when you're sitting in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> or Kent. <laughs> I don't know how many times a week I'd normally be in London. It's not going to be as much after lockdown because we can now. Commute. We've, we've all learned how to have meetings through screens. Um, yeah. But I do think that entire canvas is going to be more spread geographically. And, it, and it's a good thing. It really is a good thing because otherwise you do just, everything does become London centric in terms of where do you shop for suppliers? Where do you shop for your latest thinking? Was it six people out of your entire audience last week were not from London and the surrounding areas and how many of those were down south who weren't the six it's got to we've got to look further across so the fact that you're you going to have physical meetings in Liverpool and Sheffield and Manchester that's brilliant but I think it is I mean, with you touching on the, the future um, beyond beyond where we are I mean do you do you get a feeling that people will start moving to other areas because we've all realised actually we don't need to be in the southeast 
and we're only here because of its ability to commute easily into London because everyone forces us to go in there for meetings and workshops mm. and parliamentary business or whatever it is that we're mm. doing it all seems to focus in on going into London doesn't it yeah I don't know if it'll necessarily um, mean massive changes in the housing market um, but I do think there's going to be a lot more I mean I for one if anyone invites me to a 9am meeting in London on a Monday morning I'm probably going to say no now <laughs> you should have said no if you thought <laughs> I would imagine it will <laughs> yeah. I would imagine it will kind of encourage you know lots I mean obviously a lot of students come from the southeast and come up to some of the your bigger you know Leeds University mm. or all, all of the big universities and I guess there's going to be much more of an opportunity for people to stay put once they've qualified, which whereas yeah. before, you know, everybody would be just sort of moving on mass back to their, their hometown or their home city or what have you. Mm. I, I think, think well, but culturally you need to, you've got to have a base. Northern cities, you need to have the buzz, sort of the density in the centre to attract mm. the university leavers. Mm. And that may happen now, but it won't happen if people are working at home on a screen. And I was just about to say as well, it, it probably depends upon your role within a company as to whether you work from home or not, because actually some of the work that you do, that that balance that you get of being in a physical team and being in one place and share, because the one thing I am missing, I'm, I'm not missing some of the silly hours that we do for travelling, but I am missing just the conversation that you have and the ideas that come about and the bits of of company knowledge that you share just just by being in a space so yeah, i don't yeah. think everyone's gonna stay totally home working and for any company um with a cohesive team to succeed you're gonna have to offer all of your staff that ability to be together and to use that lovely office that we just redeveloped <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i was I just wondering no sorry go on Joanna. No, I was just wondering. I was just wondering in ter in terms of that, yeah, missing that buzz. Have you have you done anything to try and contrive that um, atmosphere? Yeah, yeah. Because I've done things like you know, some teams have worked on you. So sort of like we just kept um, Zoom on all day. <laughs> so, so we sort of like so we have our chat and then we do then we do sort of like a couple of hours work and then we'll come back and bounce ideas around on what we've been working on, but we just keep it on all day. Wow. Go on, James. Over to you because we've done some good stuff. I think having Slack and Zooms really helped and, and Teams just to keep the communication going. Um, we do weekly pub quizzes as well on a Friday. So we, each uh, team uh, hosts a quiz and it's, it's, it's a real good laugh at the end of the week. So yeah. it, It's been interesting from my, I look after um, a high-speed rail apprentice network for, for high-speed rail group. And so I talk to the apprentices from that network quite a bit. And one of the things they've been saying is that actually one there a lot of them live in kind of accommodation that doesn't really suit them working at home sort of 24 7 um which is interesting you know and also they just as you as you were alluding to lucy they're just really missing that kind of that sense of being able to speak to people that are a bit more senior in the organization mm. sort of outside of a formal kind of meeting or what have you just that opportunity for sort of informal mentoring or just a, just general that kind of you know engagement yeah exactly so the majority i would say of the people that i speak to who are probably i don't know under 30 anyway i would imagine that most of them are from the apprentice network um have said that they would definitely want to go back into the office maybe not 
completely full time, but they are actually missing that the office in, environment in that sense, which is interesting. Yeah. So I think there is a bit of a, a sort of intergenerational split there, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Um, we'd be missing the office. <laughs> I was, I was just, I was just also wondering, bringing up sort of like you know, thinking about younger people and and digital opportunities and and the wider economy. And that is, I mean, like, the news is getting pretty bad out there, given sort of like where the economy is, and I mean, like lots of companies are making people redundant because our way of life is changing. And I was wondering, in in terms of moving into your space and training and retraining and that, is there opportunities for people to to do that? are you aware of that where they could retrain and meet that gap that you have that your industry has is it easy yeah i think within software you know if, if there's if people have a software background then you know it's all good it's just it's changing from one sector to another um you know, you could easily easily slot in uh, with three squared. You know, we've got a fantastic training program as well to to get people on board and up to speed. It's certainly something that HS two are are kind of well. You know, the high speed rail space is looking at is, is where they can bring in. You know, you've got people that are kind of the, the aviation industry obviously has taken a quite a hit over this period and. You know, I know that a lot of, of, of the companies in my high-speed rail group will be looking at, um, you know, digital engineers from from that space because there's so, all of those skills are transferable, aren't they, really? And, and that goes back to um, Sheffield Digital's point. Digital is is a sector and an employer in its own right. Um, and, and James was completely right that actually we're not all railway people, therefore we can challenge and question rail. Mm. Um, but also it's not fair to assume that if you work in software that you're a millennial um i'm i'm not a spring chicken but i am not the youngest person in the company and so we've got technical staff who are in their 40s if not 50s yeah. so let's let's not just say that you have to be under a certain age to be able to work in this space so yes there is there will be a need for people to retrain kind of i suppose to suit the nuance of their application mm. um, but it doesn't mean completely or to retrain, it's redirecting that the user interface, let's say. Yeah, but I mean, it goes back to what James was saying right at the start, which is that actually that's what rail needs. Rail needs people coming into this, into that, in, into the industry from, yeah. or, or, you know, across many different other sectors, because yeah. that's what brings in that kind of fresh eyes, fresh ability to challenge, all those kind of things. Yeah. How long has railway been saying it wants to cross transfer? technology from other sectors you've got to apply the same approach to its people as well yes mm. also not contain them once they get into rail and say you're a rail person forevermore yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes although have any of us on here actually had a career in uh, an employed in a job in rail hey you I'm the only one aren't i i'm yeah. i'm, I'm, I'm I'm the person that gets up and says, I've done so, such and such in railway and I'm more senior, so I'm more important than all of you. I'm, I'm that person. <laughs> having, having worked in the railway sector or within the railway supply chain, how are you, how are you defining that? Well, I've done both. Mm. You see, because I've, I've worked, I started off, I started on the railway. See, I'm going to do the story now. I'll take you, yeah. force me into it. So, <laughs> so I, I started on the railway on the first day of privatisation. 
So 1st of January, mm -hmm. 1994, I worked for Railtrack. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a part-time job when I was doing my master's at Exeter University. So I looked after all the, all the um, operating notices for the estates division of Exeter Depot. So that was my little, <laughs> so that was my job for, um, for three mornings a week to supplement my master's. And now you um, can digitise that. <laughs> well, it is digitised now, isn't it? Because um, in those days, I used to have to photocopy them all, staple them all, and then put them in everybody's little copy hole. But now it just, <laughs> but now it just arrives on whatever your preferred digital device is. <laughs> but I, I don't I'm, know I'm very glad to hear that that's moved on. <laughs> yeah, I think they've been doing that for about 10 years now. So I think, I think most operators have been doing that for about 10 years. <laughs> so so, so in, in some ways, it's, it, should it be moving on to something else now, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, and uh, but the, what I also remember about that job was because um, as part of the safety notices, I'm going off on a complete tangent now, was because um, between um, Exeter and Barnstable, um, I lived in the middle of um, the line, but for two months I, I got on a bus because the railway line was... Um, was closed for, for the whole period because it rained nearly all winter mm -hmm. and there are something like I think there's 29 bridges between Exeter and Barnstable and every time it rained divers had to go and inspect the bridges again so so they so they never ended up reopening the line for two months and I was responsible for coordinating the divers as well so every so I was like oh no here we go again I've got to go into work <laughs> and coordinate the divers and all their safety notes and everyone I went into work in the morning <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know whether they still whether they still have that as a problem or they fixed it, but that would be something you could apply a digital solution to asset monitoring or something rather than sending divers down to inspect whether it was still structurally safe. <laughs> so what advice do you have for a digital company? We've, we're progressing well as an industry, I think. You know, one of the other projects we're doing at the moment is to do with uh, VSTP, which is very short-term planning. Uh, managed to win a competition with RSSB for that one and I think that's a, that's another thing that we're helping with and we're having conversations with other organizations now about how to start predicting that sort of thing as well uh, predicting delays and that, that kind of thing and this is the new area once we get that right I think the, the rail is going to significantly change and be able to have foresight as to what's going to occur if something does go wrong and I think that that is that is the crucial game changer uh, which which we're hoping to get in on as well right the thing the thing that i would add to that not in terms of my advice for digital everything is that i think what's interesting is that um with james saying that's a game changer is because i get the feeling that the industry has moved away from it having to be a big digital railway program because there are other ways that you can deliver the outcomes mm. of a digital rail program without it necessarily meaning huge amounts of infrastructure investment and disrupting the railway to be able to deliver the positive outcome that you're seeking like predicting you know just you know where disruptions are likely to happen and how you respond to them because i think probably as a customer um, or a passenger depending on how you want to define it um passengers don't aren't really interested in the big infrastructure stuff but what they want is information and am I going to get home and how long does the delay and is the information you're giving me accurate and I think possibly that's where rail has started to get to is it's not necessarily about the big infrastructure elements it's about making sure that you can give out trusted information and it's accurate 
Well, it can't. It, I mean, it definitely it can't come soon enough that the rail industry actually starts to focus on actually passengers because they're the ones that actually get on the trains and they're the ones that actually need a decent service. So I do remember somebody saying, I can't remember which where it was that you know years ago when anyone mentioned passengers in a room full of railway people, everyone sort of winced and sort of thought, oh gosh, let's not talk about them. You know, <laughs> <laughs> getting on our nice trains. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's another big that's a big move, isn't it? Kind of uh, psychologically, you know, I think for the industry. I'm, I'm, so, I'm not going to mention names, but I've heard that expression this year at a public event. Really? Yeah, and yes and I winced when I heard it because I couldn't believe and there were some senior people in the room and it was a social event but I still think it was inappropriate because I think the irony of current circumstances is that maybe a lot of people have got their wish and they're now realizing actually it's not so pleasant without our customers <laughs> you know it's a novelty for the first week but i think now that the railway is actually missing them i think so i think so and i think it is i mean i appreciate you heard that recently but i i mean i get a sense and i'm a newbie to the rail sector but i definitely get a sense that everything is becoming much much more focused around sort of passenger needs and that you know that's also around the kind of inclusivity agenda and you know getting people with impairments to be able to use the transport network more you know more easily than they can now and all that kind of thing i think it might be small steps but i think it's, it's definitely happening and projects like hs2 are great catalysts for that as well aren't they because obviously such a big you know such a big infrastructure project can sort of set the bar quite high for some of that stuff which is can only be a good thing for the for the industry yeah. sorry that's my little speech to move everything <laughs> into a positive light again <laughs> so i think it's quite interesting i mean because i'm james you've already you've already mentioned about your hs2 contracts and you know the boon the boon for um for more technology applications so what is it actually that you are doing for hs2 uh, so it's a supply chain supply chain management system uh which gives them better, better visibility of uh, the freight supply chain giving live performance information cost management um real-time operational control data so essentially we're taking our rail smart platform and producing a, a bespoke module for that um for for the hs2 uh, contractors essentially so when so when you when you say freight you mean actually the do you mean the logistics of um moving the dirt and things right. like that away from the site yeah so uh We've got a, we've got a name for that, but uh, we probably shouldn't say it, should we? But we, uh, <laughs> we uh, no swears, <laughs> <laughs> dirty McDirk face or something. Yeah, bulk smart is 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 the name of the application uh, we're developing. Uh, but essentially, that allows them to know exactly what is being moved out of a depot or out of a yard, uh, for example. So uh, yeah. it's quite an exciting project. Um, and Hot off the press is another one we've developed. We've developed um, RailSmart Virtual Campus, which is a blend of training tools for e-learning uh, with uh, interactive content. So essentially, we've got this new learning management system within RailSmart that helps people um, on board within our software um, and provides sort of a, a great uh, platform for training, uh, which is which is fantastic for, for our clients and is ideal for this sort of situation where everybody's working remotely. Wow. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Tag you all in. Did you say sorry, Lucy? I'll tweet it in a bit and tag you all in. <laughs> so I, I'm. I, I guess excited by logistics because obviously I'm a logistics nerd, but yeah, but I think um, in terms of the moving, the moving dirt around the bulk smart and that is that, is that so HS2 can manage their, um, their environmental credentials. So um, minimizing uh, or is it maximizing taking dirt away by rail and also making sure that it gets repurposed in a um, sustainable way. Is that, is that the plan? all part of that so it includes like the, the cost management aspect of knowing exactly where it's moved to and um, making sure that all the trains are filled up correctly etc and where they're going to go as well so we've got the full audit trail of, of where things are going um for that to make sure it is moved or recycled or whatever yeah because because is there any plans to, to do anything with that do you know because i know because hs1 they um they built a new um bird sanctuary or something didn't they out on the yeah. Essex estuary yeah. and that and i think that's always really good with infrastructure projects where you get sort of like a benefit yeah from that absolutely i'm not too familiar with what exactly they're, they're doing with it but uh, i can certainly find out but it is it's, it's really exciting that you know the the direct use of um bulk smart is is the supply chain management it's making sure that the bulk is taken out of sight and moved in an optimal manner that the, that the freight trains are loaded as effectively and efficiently as possible that you gain best fuel consumption in relation to the load but then yeah, the secondary benefits it does build it does tie completely into that circular economy sustainability element of hs2 as well so it's for me personally it's really nice to know that there's an eco credential to a software solution that we're providing. It's, it's, it direct benefit is this, but actually it's knock on benefits are also that. Mm, mm. Perhaps I should speak to you afterwards. I'm doing a, we're doing a report on HS2 and ecology report for my high speed rail group at the moment. We've been talking to all about sort of, you know, big tier one kind of uh, members yeah. about what they're doing on, on and off the, off the route, but it'd be a great, that would be a great one to get in there somewhere, I think. Yeah. yeah. company from Sheffield as well. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> speak to hs2 limited see how comfortable they are talking about it at the moment but <laughs> right um i think we need to uh draw us to a close uh we've probably all got 3 p.m meetings but i was just going to ask if you have any advice for local companies or keen people um, i think i think they should join rail innovation group because you have fantastic networking opportunities um and uh, and uh, it, it, we have some great collaboration partnerships from uh, Real Innovation Group as well. So that's that's my quote for our website. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be giving a thumbs up. <laughs> we, promised, we didn't tell him to say that. We did not. <laughs> <laughs> Free wine and snacks, which is a bonus. Not <laughs> <laughs> soon. Any last uh, any last advice? I just want to echo what James said because if you look at some of the startups and non-rail companies that have joined this group and therefore had conversation in the railway sector and are now really successful in the railway sector as a result, that's brilliant for them as individual companies and, and not being political. Um, I actually think it's a great way for companies to then offer also use Rail Innovation Group to springboard into eligibility for future membership into larger organizations and help shape help become those bigger older railway companies that then shape policy it's 
it's got to be a constant churn and a cycle. We've got to bring fresh thinking in. We've got to bring fresh companies in because otherwise we will just, it will always just be business as usual and we won't ever think outside because we've not got the capacity to. Mm. And that's what we always describe our, our startup events as, is building a grassroots community of, rail, mm. of, of you know, rail suppliers. So that's a, that is, that's a perfect, that's a great description, Lucy, of what, what we are actually trying to do is get those kind of grassroots companies in and then just build through the ecosystem of rail. Yeah. What a positive message to finish on. Join us. <laughs> uh, James and Lucy and Deb and Johanna, thank you very much for everyone joining us today. And we will all thank meet you. up in Sheffield. Soon. Oh, hopefully. we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> I should look forward to it. With pizza. The office looks lovely, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone.